0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrament of baptism is one of the most misunderstood areas of doctrine in the Christian church today. And that is no laughing matter. For as we learned in Lord's Day 25, baptism is one of the means of grace. It's one of the ways in which God communicates his steadfast love and faithfulness to us, his people. We believe that there are two means by which God brings salvation to his people. The primary means by which he does so is by the preaching of the gospel. A supporting manner in which God strengthens our faith and trust in him is through the sacraments. Yet the sacrament of baptism is misunderstood by many Christians. Some overemphasize its importance. The Roman Catholic Church believes that God grants his salvation through the sacraments. Catholics believe that unless you are baptized, you cannot be saved. Thus, if a newborn child's life is in danger, they practice emergency baptism. A doctor or nurse is allowed to perform this as long as the child is baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Other Christians underemphasize the importance of baptism You see this in many Baptist and evangelical churches. They do not practice infant baptism. They say, you must believe before you can be baptized. And so for them, baptism has become something like our profession of faith. In their churches, baptism is all about the believer. It's not about God or the promises he makes. Rather, it's about the believer and his or her commitment to Jesus Christ. And so they take away from the riches signed and sealed to us in our baptism. This afternoon we'll focus on what baptism is really all about. Baptism itself does not save us. Nevertheless, being baptized is important. For in our baptism the Lord makes great and wonderful promises to us. And our children, God uses the picture of water washing away dirt from our bodies to assure us that he washes away all our sins by his blood and spirit. Baptism is a divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Baptism symbolizes how God spiritually cleanses us. We'll consider the symbolic nature of baptism and the divine focus of baptism. Lord's Day 26 ended providing biblical proof for the promises that the Lord makes to us at our baptism. The fact that Christ promises to wash us with his blood and spirit is made clear in the institution of baptism where Christ commissions his apostles to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of our triune God. This promise is repeated in texts like Titus 3, verse 5, and Acts 22, verse 16, where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Lord's Day 27 begins by asking the question, does this outward washing itself wash away our sins the question is asked with specific intent by asking this question our catechism seeks to oppose the roman catholic church's teaching on baptism there are certain things about the roman catholics approach to baptism that we appreciate contrary to the teaching of much of christendom rome supports the baptism of infants Catholics also believe that, you're, that if you are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, such a baptism should not be repeated. We would agree with them on those things. Yet there's a problem with the Roman Catholic Church's perspective on the sacraments. They believe and teach that the observance of the sacraments is necessary for salvation, that participation in the sacraments confers grace. In other words, according to the Roman Catholic Church, if you have not been baptized, you cannot be saved. The result is that when Roman Catholic missionaries went out to bring the gospel to various tribes and nations, one of the first things a priest would do would be to baptize as many people as possible. For if someone died prior to being baptized, they could not enter heaven. The Roman Catholic belief that you must be baptized in order to be saved is also clear from their practice of emergency baptism. In situations where someone's life is at risk, the Catholic Church will allow anyone to baptize that person. Normally this occurs in situations where parents have a newborn child whose life is under threat. It might also happen in circumstances where someone who is dying, professes to believe in the Lord and seeks to partake in His grace. In such circumstances, Catholics will allow a doctor or nurse, a family member or friend to administer baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From a Catholic perspective, being baptized is absolutely essential for salvation. Roman Catholics believe that baptism itself washes away our sins. They say that when a person is baptized, their original sin, as well as all the sins they've committed to that point in time in their life, are forgiven, and that the baptized person is relieved of the punishment for those sins. They also believe that baptism makes the newly baptized person a new creature. They say that such a person is infused with God's grace and granted an ability to now go forth and do what's good and right in God's eyes. Thus, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that baptism itself washes away sins. According to their doctrine, baptism changes the status of the person being baptized. Through baptism, grace is conferred to that person. According to Catholic doctrine, an unbaptized person cannot share an eternal life. Yet through baptism, the way is open for someone to do so. They will need to practice their faith by living a good life. It will be necessary for them to regularly partake of the other sacraments, especially communion. But the point is that for Catholics, baptism itself washes away sins. Now, as Reformed believers, we would disagree. The outward washing with water itself does not wash away our sins. As our catechism teaches, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sin. Catholics are wrong in their basic understanding of the sacraments. The sacraments themselves do not save us. Participating in the rites does not confer grace on us. The sacraments are one of the means of grace. In addition to the preaching of the gospel, they are a means by which God declares and seals to us the promises of the gospel. The point, beloved, is that we need to understand the symbolic nature of the sacraments baptism is one of the ways in which god signs and seals to us the promises of the gospel question answer 73 makes this clear it speaks about what god wants to teach us through baptism and how he wants to assure us of his promises through the sacrament the outward sign of baptism is that of water washing away dirt from our bodies we're all familiar with it we all experience how water cleans us whether we immerse ourselves in a bath or are sprinkled with water coming out of a shower head, we're made clean in the process water is that outward sign god gives to teach us about how we're cleansed of all our sins Yet this washing with water is more than just a sign. It's also a seal of God's promises. Not only does God give us a picture of how our sins are washed away, he also gives us a pledge, a guarantee that we are cleansed from them. The promise that Christ gave with baptism is that as surely as water washes away dirt from the body, so surely his blood and spirit wash away all our sins. The promises that God makes to us in baptism only make sense if we understand our spiritual state. When mankind fell into sin in paradise, our sin was rebellion against God. Instead of heeding his words of life and of living according to his promises, we believed Satan's lies. We did what God expressly forbade. Through the fall into sin, we incurred great guilt, As a result, we deserve to come under God's just judgment. God has every right to condemn us to hell for our willful disobedience. What baptism teaches us is that although we deserve death, God promises us life. Baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. Through his blood offered for us on the cross, Christ promises to cleanse us from our sins, to make us righteous in God's eyes. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Baptism not only signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Christ's blood, It also signs and seals to us the Holy Spirit's promise to wash away the impurity of our souls. With the fall into sin, we became corrupt by nature. Our minds were darkened. Satan gained mastery over us. Our wills were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. We give ourselves over to doing whatever feels good. Our tendency is to do what pleases us, no matter what the effect may be on others around us. At heart, we care only about ourselves. By nature, we're inclined to hate God and our neighbor. That's a picture of fallen man. And so we need to be renewed. Something in us needs to change, to turn the direction of our lives away from sin and toward the service of God. In baptism, the Holy Spirit promises to cleanse us from the pollution caused by our sinful nature, He promises to change our lives from the inside out to work in us so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Paul describes how Christ washes us through his spirit in Titus 3. Paul writes, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Baptism signs and seals to us the Spirit's promise to wash away the impurity of our souls. In John 3, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about how every person needs to be regenerated or born again in order to share in everlasting life. When Paul speaks about the washing of regeneration in Titus 3, he has in mind the utter transformation that takes place in a Christian's life when the Spirit works in him. In baptism, the Spirit promises to wash away our corrupt nature, to work in us a new nature. Paul speaks about the renewing work of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The direction of our life then changes. We put off the old and put on the new. We turn away from being self-focused, pleasure-seeking people who continually walk in the ways of sin. By the renewing power of the Spirit, we learn to live our lives for the glory of God, seeking to do His will. It doesn't mean that we'll be perfect in this life. We've not yet arrived in heaven. But it does mean that we have the resources to fight against sin. By His Spirit, God equips us more and more to put to death the sinful desires of our flesh. The Spirit's power enables us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. He makes us willing and eager to live our lives according to God's holy commandments. We do this out of thankfulness for the wondrous salvation Christ obtained for us. And so we see, beloved, the blessings God gives us in the sacrament of baptism. Baptism itself doesn't change anything in the person being baptized. Yet through baptism, God confirms the rich promises of the gospel to us. Baptism is symbolic in nature. In this sacrament, Christ promises to take away the guilt of our sins. By His Spirit, He promises to regenerate us, to work new life in us, that more and more return from our sinful ways to lead a God-fearing life. These wonderful promises are given to all who receive the sign and seal of baptism. We're reminded of these promises every time someone in our midst is baptized. In our first point, we focused on the symbolic nature of baptism. In our second point, we considered the divine focus of baptism. Lord said 27 not only opposes the wrong teachings of the Roman Catholics, it also exposes the error of the Anabaptists. The name Anabaptist literally means to baptize again. Prior to the Reformation, pretty much all children were baptized. Yet Mano Simons and Jacob Hutter taught it was wrong to baptize infants. They referred to Mark 16, verse 16, which says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. They said that you needed to believe before you could be baptized, and thus in their churches, they rebaptized people when they came to make profession of their faith. In time, the Anabaptists dropped the Anna from their name. Those who grew up in Anabaptist churches did not baptize their children, and so when they grew up, they did not need to be baptized again. Today, the followers of the Anabaptist tradition would include. Many Baptist churches, Mennonite churches, the Amish and the Hutterites. Many community and evangelical churches have also taken over this teaching. They promote believer baptism. The sacrament of baptism is ministered to those who are able to make a credible confession of the Christian faith. Now, beloved, we need to examine the scriptural evidence for their position one of their favorite texts is that one from Mark 16, verse 16, where Jesus says that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Those in the Anabaptist tradition argue that there is a logical order prescribed in this text. It is that you need to believe before you can be baptized. In the context in which this command is given, we would agree. Jesus has just given the missionary command. He said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Mark 16, verse 15. When the apostles went out and preached the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again, those listening needed to believe the message before they could be baptized. And so also in our churches, those who come to faith as adults need to believe before they can be baptized. The form for the baptism of adults shows the need to make profession of faith before receiving the sign and seal of God's promises in baptism. Yet there's a great problem in the teaching of believer baptism, of restricting baptism only to those who have come to faith. The symbolic nature of baptism changed. Most Baptists, Mennonites, and Evangelicals who teach believer baptism have forgotten what the sacrament is really all about. For them, baptism is a sign that you have faith, that you are committing your life to Christ. For them, baptism says something about the person being baptized. They neglect the divine focus of baptism. What do I mean by that? The point is that baptism is not about us as people. Baptism is a sacrament in which God signs and seals his gracious promises to us. Baptism is not about a believer's faith. It's a sign and seal of the washing God promises us But how through Christ's blood our sins are washed away, and how through the Spirit we are renewed. Thus, beloved, we see that baptism is all about God and about the rich promises that God makes to us. That is the fundamental point where many Baptists, Mennonites, and Evangelicals go astray. There's also another problem with their position on baptism. Baptism. We need to ask, to whom does God make his promises? Are God's promises for adults only? Are his promises only for those who have the ability to understand and believe? Or are they also for the children of believers? To answer this question, we need to go back to the Old Testament to examine the covenant God made with Abraham. God made glorious promises to Abraham. He promised to make him into a great nation, to bless him, to grant him the land of Canaan as his inheritance. At the time when God made those promises, Abraham was married, but his wife Sarah was barren. They did not receive any children during the normal childbear- childbearing years. Yet in Genesis 17, verse 7, God told Abraham, Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. As a sign of the covenant, God instituted circumcision. All the men and the boys in Abraham's entire household underwent this rite. God commanded that every male child had to be circumcised on the eighth day. If anyone refused to do this, they were guilty of breaking God's covenant. So we see that in the Old Covenant, God's promises were for believers and their children. Fundamentally, nothing has changed in the New Covenant. God's promises are still for believers and for their children. We see this clearly in Peter's Pentecost address in Acts 2. Peter speaks to the crowds about how God took Jesus whom they had crucified and raised him from the dead and made him Lord and Christ. The people were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin in murdering the Lord of glory. They cried out, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter responded, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter added, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Just like in the Old Covenant, God's promises are for believers and their children. The only thing that has changed is the sacrament by which these promises are signed and sealed. In the New Covenant, circumcision was done away with, for the shedding of blood was no longer required. Jesus has shed his blood for us. Thus, circumcision was replaced with baptism as a sign of the New Covenant. Baptists and Mennonites and evangelical Christians who promote believer baptism will respond to this argument by stating that nowhere in the New Testament does God command infant baptism. Well, that's true. But imagine being a Jewish believer who grew up with a sign of circumcision. If in the Old Covenant God's promises were for Abraham and his offspring, were they going to be poorer in the New Covenant by no longer having God's promises symbolized to their children? We would say that the fact that children belonged to God's covenant and congregation was so clear. No new command needed to be given. It's confirmed when Colossians 2 verse 11 calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. The book of Acts makes it clear that God's promises were for both believers and their children. We read from Acts 16 about how Lydia and the Philippian jailer came to faith. We're told Lydia was baptized and her household as well. The same is said about the Philippian jailer. When he asked what he needed to do to be saved, Paul said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 16.33 says that he was baptized at once. He and all his family. There's two other occasions where people believed in the Lord and were baptized with their entire household in the book of Acts. It confirms baptism is not just for adults. God's promises are for believers and their children. There's one final issue that we need to address It's the question of whether or not baptism should ever be repeated. At times, we have members who have been baptized leave our churches to join various churches that promote believer baptism. In order to become a member of such a church, they are required to confess their faith and be re baptized. Beloved, simply put, that's wrong. For the church of all ages, we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That's part of the the Nicene Creed. Belgian Confession Article 34 explains this. It says, We believe, therefore, that anyone who aspires to eternal life ought to be baptized only once. Baptism should never be repeated, for we cannot be born twice. Moreover, baptism benefits us not only when the water is on us and when we receive it, but throughout our whole life. Do you know why this is true, beloved? It's because when we are baptized, God makes great and wonderful promises to us. God's promises never need to be repeated. Anyone who thinks they do offends God. For by repeating baptism, we are suggesting that God is unfaithful, that he will not keep the promises that he made the first time. Baptism symbolizes how God spiritually cleanses us. It's a sign and seal of the covenant that the Lord has made with us and our children When we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, God promises to adopt us as his children, to wash us in Christ's blood, and to renew us by his Spirit. We're reminded of these glorious promises every time someone is baptized in our midst. What does God want from us in response to his grace and mercy in Christ? He calls us, to believe the gospel, to find our life in Jesus Christ alone. Then baptism truly benefits us, for by faith we make God's promises our own. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from Psalm 103, verses 4 and 7. We sing there of the gracious promises of God that He makes to us and of how these promises are not just for us but also for our children throughout the generations. Psalm 103, 4, and 7.